This is uh, week four of our series on, on resting in God. And uh, I've been really enjoying this. God has been teaching me a lot. Uh, and, and, I've, and I've been working, working with the Holy Spirit to apply all these things in my life. Amen. We're talking about rest. We need to rest in God. And, and we want, some of the things that we, we, we covered was this. Last week we talked about how rest is action, right? Rest is not a passive thing. It's not something that we just wait on to come and overtake us as if some, some, you know, some sort of emotion. Rest is actually action. It requires us to be proactive, right? And it's not a matter of, we said, it's not a matter of emotion, but of discipline. Rest is a matter of discipline. Uh, we also, the week before that, we talked about how uh, we have what Peter, Peter writes, this, the exceedingly great and precious promises, right? And that we've received in Christ Jesus. And it is when we meditate upon these promises from God that we enter into rest, right? The exceedingly great and precious promises. You know, in John 10, Jesus uh, Jesus says, I am, I, am, I am the gate, I am the door, right? I am the door of the sheep. And, and he says, so that he who, he who enters by me is really entering to the kingdom of God. And Jesus actually adds what? And will find what? Pasture. Hallelujah. Amen? So we didn't just walk into the kingdom of God and say, well, you know what, thank God I'm saved. What, do you, what have you found in the kingdom of God? Right? The pasture is, is, is really these exceedingly great and precious promises that we have in Christ Jesus. And so when we talk about rest being an action, what are you doing with the promises that God has made you? Right? What are we doing with that? Are we just kind of reading about them in the Bible and saying, and saying that sounds really nice, and then just living our lives completely opposite uh, of what His Word teaches us, right? Uh, we talked about uh, Jesus' parable on, on, on the builders, the wise and foolish builders. And Jesus says, you know, them who hear my word and actually do it are the ones who what? Build their house on the rock, right? So this, in a way, applies, although that scripture is about salvation, this applies to the Christian life in which we live, like after we're born again too, because unless we do what the word says, we're not building on something that's solid, right? And so when the storms of life come, and we said that uh, trouble is the test of your rest, Really, right? That's when we know if we've, if we've been really uh, founded and been sitting on the word of God and the promises of God, right? When the storm comes, we don't move. Why? Because I've been, I have, I've been walking out and I've been meditating on the promises of God for me and I've been living according to what God says is true. Not what I see, not what I feel, but what I, know, what I see in the word of God. And that's what I place my faith in, right? And the first week, I'm just giving you guys a quick recap, we talked about how we are called for the yoke of rest. That rest is not, that God, it's not something that God has given, uh, that God gives to us periodically. It is our eternal state. You know, when something is a yoke, that means it's, you know, it's sort of like a burden, right? Jesus said, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden and a burden and I will what give you rest take my yoke upon you right take my yoke upon you. you get the yoke of rest when you're born again it's it's now rest peace joy righteousness these are a part of you they're a part of your identity you can't escape your identity <laughs> no matter where you go no matter what you do you are a slave to who you are right you're you can't change you 
can change your hairstyle, you can change your shirt, you can, you, can, you can work out, you can change how your appearance, but you will still be you. That's not gonna change. And I thank God that, that rest is a part of my, my identity as a child of God. So it's already in us. So when we talk about uh, entering into rest, we've already, in a spiritual sense, entered into God's rest. So when you read Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, that's not talking about us. We've entered into His rest. When you said yes to Jesus and the free gift of salvation, you've received that free gift of salvation, you've entered into rest. Rest is now a part of your identity. However, I need to make sure that I am meditating on the promises of God so that my life looks like a restful life, right? right? We're not only called to preach the gospel, we're called to be the gospel. And when I'm preaching the gospel, this good news, this, this news that sounds too good to be true to the world, the world needs to see the reality of the gospel in me. Amen? In me. The world needs to see that what, I have, that what I'm talking about is not just talk. It's real. They need to see the power of the gospel, the power of the cross. And I have every responsibility to make sure that my mind is renewed and that I am not being conformed to the pattern of this world so that I may prove what? That perfect and good will of God. God's will is for His children not only to stop sinning, we talk about renewing our minds in regards to sin, but anything that looks like the world, the fear, the pessimism, all these things are supposed to be eradicated from my life, and I'm supposed to show that this is true. This is the real deal. Amen? Praise the Lord. You guys can unmute and say amen, amen if you wish. Yo, I was missing you today. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right, so today, today's message is titled, What Do You Think of God? What do you think of God? I want you to think of rest uh, like, like a building or like a house. And, and the goal is, is you're eventually wanting to move into that house, live in that, in, that, in that house, right? Live in rest. You want to walk in rest. Thank God that rest is my spiritual identity already. It's in my spirit. But my, my responsibility is to make that reality active in my, in my physical existence. Are you with me? Right? By renew my mind. So think of it like a house. In order to build a house or, or any, any structure, what do you have to do first? And what is the thing that you, you actually need to put? If, if, you, didn't, if you only had uh, a very limited budget, right? And you could either spend it on all the, all the decor and all the stuff you can put outside, right? But you, let's say you didn't have enough. To make to make the building or the house very you know well built and well structured, the, you know, focusing on the actual safety and engineering, all that stuff, versus the decor. Which one would you spend your money on? I would spend it on the, on the stuff that matters, the, the, what keeps me safe, right? And that's really we're talking about the foundation, right? If you say like, oh, you know what, we don't have enough money, uh, but I really want it to look really pretty, so I'm I'm, I'm just let's, don't worry about the foundation. Just do whatever you guys can with that, and I'll, I'll spend my money on the other things. That would be a very foolish mistake, obviously, right? The foundation is very important. So I want to tell you that if you're building your house, the house, and in this house, I think I said, think of rest like a house. If you want your house to be well-founded and actually work 
and 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 sus- be sustained, you got to focus on the foundation. And and the foundation of rest is this, guys. It is what you think of God. What you think of God is the foundation of rest. Everything else, all the things that we've been talking about for the past three weeks, like the exceedingly great and precious promises that God has for me, the action of rest, all of these things are secondary to what you think of God. What you think of God is the very foundation. You guys with me? So, here's what I want to tell you. If you've been meditating just in your Christian life, if you've been trying to meditate on God's promises, but this hasn't been working, you know, like you can take the word of God and say, and pick out all the things that God promises you as a child of God and meditate on those things, right? But, but if those things are not working for you, and it's actually not leading you to a place of rest, a place of peace. And you don't see those promises coming, working in your life. You have to ask yourself, what do I think of God? Because you will never trust the promises of someone you don't trust. Right? That's why we hear the phrases like, God loves you. Well, yeah, God loves me. But we, we completely miss the power that statement holds. Right? God loves you. You're forgiven. You're healed. Uh, all the promises of God that we have in Christ Jesus, if, if we don't experience their power, if, if we just hear them and they just sound like, Sentences that we know because we we grew up in church or we've just been in church for such a long time, but we don't actually experience them. That means that we we have made those things our foundation, but we've we haven't really fixed the 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 the, the, the most uh, substantial foundation that they're meant to be built upon, and that is what we think of God. Amen. That makes sense, right? So so. We have received exceedingly great and precious promises in Christ Jesus, but all of these will mean nothing to us if our view of God is broken. And that's what I want to talk about today. I think uh, sometimes we get we can we can get carried away into into going to the to, to step two without really having dealt with the foundation. Amen. So. What do you think of God? And the truth is, <laughs> all of us have a broken view of God in some way, shape, or form. We do. And we are renewing our minds to fix that, right? Like that, the, any thought process, anything that we have, even if, it's, even if it's subconsciously, it will affect our walk. Right? So, how do you see God? Do you, do you think he's unfair? These are real questions I want you to ask yourself. And the good thing is God knows the God already knows what we think. We might trick ourselves sometimes to uh, to say no, that's not what I think. And try to pretty it, pretty it up before God, but God already knows what we think. He, he even understands the thoughts that we are not aware of, right? Like 
that we have going on. The truth is God loves you. Yes, you love God. You're saved. You're born again. But but I, I want you to, 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 to find and to deal with those places in your life where, you, where your view of God is toxic, where your view of God is broken. And this is including me. Okay? And, and the enemy also knows what these things are too. And he uses them always for his purposes. So, do you think God is unfair? Do you think God is unpredictable? That's another good one. Like sometimes he's good, sometimes he's not. Like, right? Like, and 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 this is. I'm just being very real with you. So unless we deal with these foundation, this foundational thing, whatever we try to build on top of this, God loves me, and I just try to build this on top of that. But 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 you don't really trust that God is love. If you don't, if you don't believe that God is like, if you don't truly, if you're not truly confident that God is love, how are you going to believe that God loves you? Right? Amen? Amen. And so if I'm just trying to meditate, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me, but I, but I, I don't live like God loves me. I am prone to feeling condemned. Jesus died for my sins. I'm, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. But I am the number, like a person who deals with condemnation the most. I need to see the what's happening at the foundation. Really, at the core, maybe I feel that that like, yeah, God, God loves me, but he's he's almost ready to just kick me out. He's almost ready to let go of me. He's almost ready to let bad things happen to me. Like that's that's what we think. And then we hear all these amazing promises of God that we talk that what 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 what, what uh, God has promised His children. What is the inheritance that we have as His as His saints? All of these things will mean nothing to us unless we fix those those thought processes that we've uh, that we that we've been living with. Amen. Amen. By the way, so when I when I say what you think about God, this doesn't just mean the thoughts cro- that cross your mind. I'm not talking about that. You can't control the thoughts that come into your into your brain. Right? You can't. The enemy can plant thoughts in your head. I can plant a thought in your head. I can just say something and the thought will run in your head. Right? Like, if I, you know, right now, if I just say, like, you know, don't think of a pink elephant, you probably saw a pink elephant. Right? Like, so that, what I, so that's not what I mean by what you think. And the, the enemy also, that's what he uses to attack us. You get all these sort of thoughts coming into your mind. And you think it's you, and then you feel condemned, right? The enemy will even go as far as to manipulate your emotions and tell you, look at you, that's how you feel, you horrible person, right? I don't care what the devil says, or what I feel, or what's going on. I know that the real me, who, the, at the core of who I am, I, I am, I am that born again, new creation. Hallelujah. That, that, that has been recreated in Christ Jesus. That's me. Um, and I can also renew, I, I can I renew my mind in regards to, to who I really in regards to who I really am, so that I can walk that out, right? So, so what I what I actually mean when I when I say what you think, I'm talking about what you hold to be true. Okay, you guys with me? What you hold to be true, not just the just the thoughts coming in out of my mind, 
but the thoughts that I let in, the thoughts that I, uh, I, I allow to become uh, part of my thinking process. Right? Um, these actually are the thoughts that shape how I think and how I navigate life. That's what I'm talking about. And sometimes we're not even aware of these thoughts because they're subconscious, right? They're subconscious. Uh, and it's, it's just really, when you, when, you, when, you, when you give yourself time with the Holy Spirit, time with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, to, to talk about the issues of life, you know, or with somebody you trust, that these things come out. That's why suddenly people find themselves crying, like, oh, that's why I think this way, right? All these things, but maybe you've been through that, and you, and, and you find a breakthrough. And, and so these are even subconscious thoughts that we have that control how we think. And now, I think we need to, not just I think, I know, that we need to deal with these thoughts that, that we have about God. How, how is your mind set up in regards to who God is and what He does? You know, and, and I know there are answers that there are questions that we may not have answers that you may not have answers to. But you know what? I have seen the faithfulness of God in my life. I you know when I was younger, I used to have all these questions, and I, and I used to at some point I was like, you know what, God, I'll just trust you anyway. One day when I get to heaven, I'll have all the answers, and that was my hope. But I'm just telling you, man, God has given me the answer to all of those questions I had. And I now here, I'm not even that old. Right, like, and 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 they came right away. I remember just within that year, God would just begin. And so it's about I've 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 learned that as 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 we approach God and we're in a place of intimacy with Him, God's will is that we know what His will is for us. It is. It's His will. And even if we don't have an answer, I love that scripture in Philippians chapter four, verse uh, from verses four to eight, where where Paul tells us. Uh, you know, uh, be anxious for nothing, right? And then present uh, like every question that you have with God, with, with prayer and supplication. And, and it doesn't say the answers will come. It says and the peace of God. Present your questions. You don't. And what what comes after is not the answers. It says the peace of God, because what you want at the end of an answer is peace. You want answers so that you can have peace. But God will give you the peace. Hallelujah. And in the peace though, in that supernatural peace that passes all understanding, you will find the answer. Amen? Amen. And so God is wanting to fix what we think of Him. The reason why, if you're struggling to enter into rest, if you're struggling to see a victory in any part of your life, it could be that you're not, you don't know what God's promises to you are and you're not upholding those promises that are yours and your authority as a child of God. That's one thing. But, that may not even be, it may go deeper than that to what you actually think about God. So when we fi fix what we think of God, and we begin to actually trust God, I can then begin to trust His promises. That's just, the, that's just the, the key point I'm trying to make. When you trust God, when you know who God is for who He is, you trust whatever He has to say. When He tells you this is yours, you believe it. When He says, I have forgiven you, you believe it. When He, when he tells you, when He tells you, um, you're an overcomer. You actually believe what he says because you trust him. Amen. Let's go to uh, Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Verse 
He says, be still. Now what? And know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Right? Now let's just read verses 1 and 2, just to get context for this, for this psalm. God is our refuge and strength. Amen. Right? An ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give away, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. Give me one second. I need to change my translation here. So, the, so really, the context is taught is, is really that God is our strength, our refuge, our protection. Right? It's all these things. And then in verse ten, God says, "Be still, and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in in the earth." Be still and know. And that psalm talks about how God defends his people, how God protects his people. It goes on to talk about how God does it. Like how you know you you, you see the, the 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 destroying power of God. Like you know, God can cause such great uh, destruction. That God, how how fierce he is in, in the in the way he defends his people. The enemy loves to to. to <laughs> The enemy loves to show us the great, the great and like destroying power of God, as if it's against us. When you see the power of God and you see that it is used on your behalf, and that He will never use that against you, that corrects something at a very foundational level about how you, about how you see God. Amen. Come on. We know God is big. We know God is huge. But me, instead of being afraid of God's greatness, I need to see God as my Father. Hallelujah. See, there's, this is, there's, uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's relationship. In Isaiah 54, God talks about how He will never be angry with us. Always talk about this verse, right? He talks about how God created everything that the destroyer and the weapons and all these things but what not it's not against you if anything the weapons of the lord are for you hallelujah amen, amen. Hallelujah. praise god and so we need to see and understand what god has caused to happen in christ jesus this is one of the promises that we have isaiah 54 strategically comes after what isaiah 53 which is all about the work of the messiah and at the end of the jesus finished work i find a father who will never be angry with me whose eternal covenant with me is 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 peace hallelujah so anyone who speaks again like who tells me anything outside of this is not preaching the gospel is saying something against the finished work of jesus christ Right, so that's a promise that I take from God. So all that will even do what it will fix my understanding and my view of God. So back to Psalm chapter forty-six. Right, it says, "Be still and know. Be still and know." So according to God's definition, whenever God says no, He talks about knowledge. God's definition of knowledge goes beyond learning information. Okay. You go to school, 
what and you learn and you're like I know it when you say I know something is what is it it's because you have read about it you've uh, you've memorized it you can answer questions about it right that's it you say you know something but God's definition of knowledge has to do with experience you guys with me God's definition of knowledge has to do with experience and encounter not not merely having information and knowing like the information alone doesn't uh, it, it doesn't uh, amount to knowledge in God's perspective okay let's go to John chapter 8 John chapter 8 verses 31 and 32. Yeah, so God's definition, definition of knowledge goes beyond uh, n- uh, learning information. It has to do with experience, with that information. Okay, It actually requires experience with that information. That's when God calls it knowledge. Okay, So, uh, John 8, right? 31, 32. That's what it says. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, Take note of that. Jesus is speaking to the people who heard what he had to say and what? Believed. Can you believe something that you don't know, that you don't have any information about? No. You believe, your, your, your faith is based upon the information. The Bible even says what? Faith comes with here. Right? So, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. So he had preached to them, he had shown them the signs, everything, and they had believed it. That's what he says to them. He says, if you abide, other translations instead of abide say hold. Okay? If you, so he says, if you abide in my word, or if you hold on to my word, or in other words, if you stay in my word, in this word that you have believed, you are my disciples indeed. And then he says in verse 32, we know this one, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth shall make you, and it shall make you free. The truth, the thing is here that the people that Jesus is speaking to, they already had the information. They already actually in a way knew quote unquote I have to say new because this is God's definition of knowledge is different right they knew the information they knew Jesus' word as a matter of fact they didn't just know it they believed it they put their hearts on it they said I believe that but Jesus tells them no you don't know the word yet even though you believe you believe in it you believe in what I've told you you believe in the truth that I've spoken you don't know it yet how can you believe something and not know it yet? Right? They already believed it. But they didn't know it. Psalm 46, 10 to 11, what does it say? Be still and know. You may believe in God, but you, might, you may not know God. <laughs> Knowledge has to do with encounter. 
Amen? Experience. So Jesus here, by the way, talking about salvation. That's the entire context of John chapter 8. He's t- he, they believed already. They believed in him. They believed he's the Messiah. They believed in everything he was saying. But he tells them, all right, guys, good job. You believe. Stay in it. Stay in this. Do not waver from this belief, from this faith that you've put in me. Remain in it. Stay in it. Abide in it. And if you do this, you become my disciples and needs. If, and then you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus here, by the way, the context of the scripture, Jesus is talking about becoming free from sin. And you only become free from sin when you get born again. And in order for them to be born again, Jesus had to die. He had to become sin, die, and then be resurrected. All that had to be met before they could know the truth. Because when Jesus is talking about knowing the truth here, he's actually talking about being born again and having the actual encounter and experience of being born again. And it's only at that point when you've, be- when you've become, when you've experienced the truth that you can say you've known it. But he hadn't died yet, right? He hadn't become sin yet. He hadn't been resurrected yet. So he was telling him, wait up guys, I know you believe. Right now you're believing in a prophecy. You're believing in what's, what I'm telling you I'm about to do. But wait and hold on to it until I have died for your sins and been resurrected. And when you, if you still believe, yeah, that belief will take you to a place of knowing because you're about to become born again of the Holy Spirit and become a new creation. And at this point, you don't only have the information uh, of the, about the truth, you, don't, you not only believe in the truth, at this point, you are a partaker of the truth, one who has been, uh, I want to say it in Amarinya, English is not going to satisfy that. I don't know how I'm going to say that in English, right? Like, right? like you have been, uh, I don't know, the best word I can come up with in English is just contaminated by the truth. I, it's not contamination, it's a good contamination, right? Like you have, <laughs> right? So that's really what he's saying. At that point, you've experienced the truth, right? So n- knowledge in, God, in God's definition is about experience. By the way, the Greek word that's used there, and and in many places, when you look at the New Testament, is the word gnosko, which has, which means experiential knowledge. But I just wanted to just give you more than just a word, just quote Greek, because I never really do that anyway. I just want to tell you what Jesus is saying in context of that scripture. Amen? That makes sense, right? So he's really talking about this experiential knowledge to people who already believed it. Amen? Another example is Adam and Eve. We know that there was a, the, 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 there was a tree, the tree of good, the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. And we know when, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they what? They came into knowledge of evil. Right? I want to tell you something. <laughs> what that means is not Adam and Eve had no idea what evil was until they ate the fruit. That's not what that's saying. As a matter of fact, Adam and Eve already knew that disobeying God was evil. They, I mean, I'm saying what I'm saying is they had the information. Just as the Jews knew information, they knew about the truth and even believed it, right? Adam, Adam already knew that it's wrong, that it's evil to not obey God. Because God himself told him, the day you eat of that fruit, you will die. Don't disobey me. It's wrong to disobey me. It's not that Adam and Eve did not have information about evil. They, in fact, Adam believed it. He's like, yeah, the day I eat that, I'm going to die. He knew that. But Adam and Eve had no experience. 
no experiential knowledge of evil until they acted on it. So that's all it's saying. It's not that they only knew good, they had no idea of what bad was. No, they knew what, what evil was and evil, because God told him. That, and they knew that, and that was the sin, by the way. Disobeying God was the sin. Not eating fruit. Fruit are good for you. Eat fruit. I'm saying, don't, not listening to what God has told you. Not listening, not obeying the voice of God is evil. And they had no idea what evil was until they came in contact. There, there's the English word. They came into contact with it. Tanakaku. Right? That's it. So that's what happened. Amen? Making sense? So I'm, I'm talking about all this, about knowledge, so that we know what it means to be still and know that He is God. Remember, I want to take it back. We're talking about today, what do you think of God, right? What, what do you think of God? Your thought process about God is determined by what you know about God. How we think of God, which, by the way, my, your view of God and how you, whatever you think about God will determine what happens in your life. Our view of God determines our view of life. I'll say it like this. Your view of God determines your view of you and ultimately your view of life and what happens in your life. It's the very foundation for everything. But what I think about of God is determined by what I know of, of God. Not the information, not just that I believe in God. H have I come in contact with God? It's about intimacy. Right? It's about intimacy. I know everyone here has had some sort of encounter with God. There'll be times in my life when I did not understand the Word of God to the level that I do now, but all I knew was His presence. And I'll be in the midst of all these spiritual attacks and things and not having answers for things, but at the moment I would begin to encounter Him, all that would fade away. Without me actually having an answer for whatever it was that was troubling me, I would just be so lost in Him, so full of joy, full of rest. Are you with me? And then thank God that we, God is also our teacher. The Holy Spirit takes you in His Word. If you give it time, He will reveal it to you. And you'll have answers. He will speak to you. But what I'm talking about is when we are in a place of this experiential knowing of God, that's when peace comes. Right? Be still and know. Stillness, rest is a simultaneous effect of knowing God. Simultaneous effect of knowing Him. Not just knowing about God, knowing Him experientially. Amen? Amen. Experientially knowing God. And it is, see, many times we just we read about the we read from the Bible, this is what God does. God is this. You know, there's the Trinity. Amen. And God is all powerful, all knowing. God is love. But if I don't experience that, I only know it, and I only have information about it, and I believe it, but I haven't come in contact with it. And, and the, the, because we are broken uh, people in the flesh, and our, the tendency of our minds, our brains, our physical minds, is to deviate away from the truth, we need to stay in constant contact with God. Co constant encounter with Him, right? The truth is, in the Spirit, I am with God. <laughs> 
But I need to make sure I go there always. Amen. God wants what I think of Him to be right, and when it's only when what I what I think of God is 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 healed. My thought process about God and what I think of God is correct. That I can actually believe His promises. That I can actually believe what is mine as a son of God. I can all believe all these things and build on top of that. So God is trying to fix, fix, fix what we think of Him. Amen. Amen. So when God says, "Know that I am God." God is talking about experience and encounter. When you know God by means of encounter, there is no situation, thought, or argument that can convince you that He isn't good. Are you with me? If it's not by encounter, if it's just by my memorization and just hold on things and, and I'm, I, have, I have my theologies on point, whatever, if I'm just that level but I'm, I don't go into it, trust me, The enemy will come and, and will, 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 will probably convince me out of the fact that God is good. And I will not be consistent. But if it's based on encounter and the truth, by the way, know the word of God. And based on the word of, on that word, whatever information you find about God, don't just stay there. Do it and remain in it and go into it and encounter God. Amen? From that place, nobody can convince me out, out of that place. I, I saw this uh, quote on, uh, on, uh, on a buddy of mine's Instagram and I had to look it up. It's by a man of God uh, from early 1900s named Leonard Ravenhill. Okay, that's what he said. He said, a man with an experience with God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. That's it. Let me read that again. A man, a man with an experience of God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. There is no argument that could <laughs> that could move you when you have an experience with God. Amen? Amen? Praise God. And so it is stillness, rest, comes from, from this place. It's this effect that takes place simultaneously when we know God by means of encounter. Okay? Let's go to Isaiah 26.3. Beautiful verse about rest. It says this, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, right? And I think last week or the week before we talked about that, the fact that it says stayed, it, 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 uh, uh, it's hinting at action, right? I have a responsibility to make sure my mind is stayed on God. Rest is a matter of discipline. It's a matter of action. It's, it, it's not a passive thing that we wait for. It's something we have to act upon to enter into. So it's says whose mind is stayed on you. But you know what? I realized just because your mind is on God doesn't mean you'll enter into rest. Your mind has to be on God in a way, in a manner that leads you to trusting Him. Because the next part of that verse says, because He trusts in you. You see, it's possible to have your mind on God, but the wrong view of God. <laughs> if, I, if my mind is constantly on God, but my thought process about God is broken, my view of God is broken. God is going to, that my mind staying on God is actually going to cause me to be anxious. Are you with me? The verse is Isaiah 26 3. Are you guys following? Many Christians that struggle 
that love God and that, but that still struggle with depression, anxiety, with so many things. It's not because they're not thinking about God. It's, it's because they're thinking about God the wrong way. It's not because they're, they're not thinking about God at all and they're, and they're, just, doing, they're just out there doing whatever they want to do. I don't want to think about God, no. No, it's because they care so much and they're thinking about God, but the enemies has, has broken their thought process about God and what they think about God is broken, their foundation is broken. So instead of think, your mind being stayed on God, instead of that producing rest, it produces anxiety. It produces stress. It produces what the devil wants it to produce because God has broken our minds about, said about God. I'm telling you that from experience. All the times in my life, I was going through spiritual attacks and so many things. Man, I loved the Lord. I was in the house of God. I was, I was doing so many things. But, but just, I, I'll be thinking about God so much, but the way I thought about God and how He saw me and how who He was was so broken that it led me to a place of feeling anxiety, having panic attacks, being in so, so many broken places. But God was healing that. Amen? Like, but no, when you know God for who He is. Hallelujah. You take His word, you do what the word says, you know Him. And your mind thought process about God is fixed. You, you know what happens? You trust Him. That's the, that's the next part of Isaiah 26.3. It says, You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is on you for what? Because He trusts in you. What I think of, uh, about God needs to lead me to a place of trusting God. Otherwise, it will do me no good. I'll say that again. What you think about God, how you think of God, has to lead you, need, it must lead you to a place of trusting Him. Otherwise, it will never yield rest. Okay? So think of God in such a way that you actually trust Him and all He promises. You see, when you trust God, when you trust His nature, when you trust Him for who, like, for who He is, you trust whatever He has to offer. You trust whatever He says about you. And I think that, might, that, that is the place where a lot of Christians struggle we try to meditate on His promises. We hear God loves you and all these things. But, but our foundation is broken. Like I said, if you, don't, if you can't trust fully without any place of doubt, without any hint of doubt that God is love, how can I trust? How can you trust He loves you? How can you trust He loves everyone? That's what I'm talking about. But we're trying to force ourselves to believe God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. But no, to no, believe that God is love. Amen. Believe that God is just. Believe that God is predictable in His nature. That's what I'm, I'm, I don't mean God just does the same thing all the time. But that He's predictable in His nature because He says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. That He's that for eternity, from eternity to the eternity. From the Alpha and Omega, God who does not change. In, him, in God in whom there is no variation of shadows. Right? This is our Father. Amen. Amen. No matter what you see happening on the earth, no matter what you see happening around you, it's not because God is not perfect in all His ways. It's because there's many other elements and many other factors that we don't understand. Have that kind of confidence in the nature of God. Whenever you see things happening that you can't make sense of and, and, and the end result of what you see leads you to believe maybe God is not good, it's not... It's because there are other factors and other things that we have that you don't even know of yet. Come on, <laughs> there are so many things at play in the in this fallen world that we don't even we haven't even begun to understand. God is perfect, Amen. 
He is perfect. Your Father is perfect. Praise God. And, and if anything, if, you, if you're out of answers, remember your place, that, that place where you had an encounter with God. And go to that place of encountering God. Encountering His presence. Encountering His Spirit. Amen? Pray in tongues. Pray in tongues. We, we, we are we're supposed to be praying in tongues so much. Because when you pray in tongues, <laughs> when you pray in tongues, you, you, the Bible says you're edifying yourself. You're edifying really your, your, this body, the physical realm. And the interesting about, thing about tongues is it's, 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 it's just an amazing gift. Because you can't pray in tongues without your body. Although you're praying in the Spirit, you can't do it without your body. Without your body's permission. Are you with me? It's a spiritual thing. But it requires your body's permission to actually do it. And our body is so powerful because as, 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 as powerful and as perfect everything is about us in the Spirit, your Spirit is actually only allowed to express what your body allows it to express. And even, your bo- and even all of your authority as a child of God, although all that authority is in your spirit, your spirit has no authority to actually express to that authority unless your body allows it. So your body is actually very powerful. It's a shock collar. It's the one who decides what happens. And unless you renew your mind and make your body a living sacrifice, whatever great thing that is in you, whatever power that's in you will never be expressed, right? The amazing thing about tongues is this. When you pray in tongues, your body, all it has to say is, okay, I'm willing. And it releases what's in your spirit. And every single power that is in you, the rest, the peace, the joy, the voice of God that you hear in your spirit becomes completely released into the physical realm when you pray in tongues. That is a whole different teaching. But I just wanted to include that, just just to highlight the importance of praying in tongues. Are you with me? I don't know if you notice when you pray in tongues, you know what happens when you pray in tongues? Have you noticed that you actually begin to see visions? When you pray in tongues, have you actually realized that you actually become sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit? It's not because the Holy Spirit suddenly came to where you are because you prayed in tongues. It's because you awakened you to, 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 to the spirit realm. You are renewing your mind. You're just allowing the things of the Spirit to be uh, released. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Girma, I thought I saw a hand. Yes. <laughs> Nobody really revealed so far, as far as my spiritual experience is concerned. Could you really just elaborate more on that? Did it very, very powerful. Praise God. Praise God. Yes. So you know, I'm, so when we pray in tongues, uh, this is. I just really want to talk about how the fact that you know we tend to think of our bodies as not having power, and they actually hold all the power as long as we're on the earth. Our bodies have the power to yes. to muzzle. Who we are. And so unless we cause our bodies to become a living sacrifice, meaning we treat them like they're dead, because sacrifices are dead. I don't know. Sacrifices are dead. That's the whole thing. So when Romans 12, when it says living sacrifice, it says, it's saying, treat your body like it's dead while it's alive. That's why it says living sacrifice. Don't, while it's living, treat it like a sacrifice. So when I, and when I do that, I, what do I do? I end up expressing the perfect will of God. See, if we want to know who God is and His goodness, His will is the perfect things that is in me. Come on, not the broken state of this world. But 
I, because me, I, my body needs to come into agreement with what's my spirit in order for my spirit to have its way. So, and all of my authority is in my spirit, not my body. It's in my spirit because my spirit is the one that is a child of God. But my, but all that authority will never do anything. I, it can't do anything. It can't be expressed unless my body permits it. So I, my body said like my mind, my physical mind, I have to be willing to renew my mind and release what's in the spirit. I don't, so, so when I do that, I'm giving permission. So, but the easiest way to do that, a lot of times we struggle. We say, okay, how do I release what's in the spirit? How do I do that? Uh, we train, meditate on the word of God, we worship, we pray, also oh, good. But the, the easiest, the gift that's been given to us to do that is tongues. Because when we pray in tongues, all you, you don't have to do anything but just open your mouth. That, you just have to say, I give permission to my spirit to do it. And that's why the Bible says, even when we're, when we're confused, when we have no idea, it says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Come on. That is the, the, we are edified. Your flesh, everything, your thoughts, your emotions get edified because you're, you're, what's real about you in the spirit becomes unleashed and released here. Here. If we begin to see the world, everything as, is, as it's in the spirit. And that's the most powerful place to be. So... My body has the easiest way I can release what's real about me in the spirit is by praying in tongues. That's why Paul says, I pray more in tongues. I sing more in tongues. And if we don't think tongues is real, then we've missed out. We, we literally will are like lame duck. That's what we are. We, we've shot ourselves in the foot. We live in this world trying to fight our way through through the, through the flesh when all the authorities in our spirit that we're meant to release. Praise God. Yeah, hallelujah. Yeah. So, guys, so that's it. So, if you want to walk in rest, the good thing is this rest is not coming externally, it's already there. It needs to be released out. So, pray in tongues. You, the real you, you know God already. The Colossians 3.10 says, we, it says to put on the new man. Again, that's saying take out your spirits and put it on your body. That's what it's saying. Let it out. That has been, that, that is renewed in knowledge of, uh, after which uh, 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 the, the image of him that created him that's what it says so what it's talking about is in my spirit I'm not confused I know God I, the answer to everything is there release that out amen so praying in tongues when we pray in tongues we walk in rest all these things come. so God even wants us wants to shift what we think of tongues it's not about uh, like I'm praying in tongues so that the Holy Spirit comes man you we missed the point you're doing something else Amen. So, uh, God, <laughs> the enemy has taken all of these things and, and, and kind of like told, you know he tells us things that sound spiritual but that are completely missed the mark in terms of the truth, and we get we, we pray in tongues and we feel frustrated and we stop. But if you approach praying in tongues and things of God from the right perspective, then you actually know what, why you're doing it. When you know what you're doing, something you actually do it and you will succeed in it. I'll finish that part with this. You know they did a study. I'll share the the YouTube video on Church Me or something, right? You guys might have seen it. They did the study where they connected electrodes to people's brains of people of different religions. They had someone pray in English. They had someone meditate. They had someone do all these different things, yoga, whatever it was. But they had one person praying in tongues. When, they, <laughs> when that person was praying in tongues, the brain activity was minimal. Nothing, zero. As a matter of fact, the part of your brain that has to do with formulating language, nothing. Why? Because it's your spirit praying. But your mind, the only thing your brain is doing is like allowing it. That's the only part. Amen. So, praise God.